When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Bingeworthy, a podcast dedicated to telling you which of these many dozens of streaming shows that are being thrown at you each week and month are worth your time and attention. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and today I get to talk to you about a couple of shows, actually, which are currently streaming on Showtime or Showtime Anytime or Paramount Plus with Showtime, whichever way you get Showtime. Uh, those shows are George and Tammy, Waco, Waco the Aftermath, because my guest today is the wonderful Michael Shannon. On George and Tammy, Shannon plays the famous country singer George Jones, alongside Jessica Chastain, who plays Tammy Wynette. The show documents the passionate and tumultuous relationship at the center of some of the most beloved country duets of all time. Then there's Waco and Waco the Aftermath. In both, Michael Shannon plays FBI negotiator Gary Nessner and tells the true stories of the disaster at Waco with the Branch Davidians and also the events that followed in Waco the Aftermath. All three shows, George and Tammy, Waco and Waco, The Aftermath, are very, very much worth your time. All are fascinating shows based on true events, and we get to dig into all of them with Michael Shannon here. Uh, oh, and if that's not enough, we also talk about The Flash, which he's also in this summer, Jeff Nichols' The Bike Riders, which he has coming up this year, even his directorial debut, Eric LaRue, that uh, is debuting soon at Tribeca. Uh, in my opinion, you can never have too much Michael Shannon, so I am very, very happy to hear we're getting so much of him this year. But before we get to my chat with Michael Shannon, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, the Discourse, the Rogue Ones, Yellowstoners, Deep Focus, the Fourth Wall, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Follow, like, subscribe, drop us a rating on any of those as we greatly appreciate it. Or just head on over to the mothership, which is the playlist.net for film and TV news and interviews and reviews and more. As a reminder to our listeners, you can stream all episodes of George and Tammy and the first season of Waco now on Showtime Anytime or Paramount Plus with Showtime. Waco The Aftermath has two episodes out now and is releasing new episodes each week. Okay, here's my chat with the hugely talented and very kind Michael Shannon. Mr. Shannon, how the heck are you? Oh, fantastic. Yourself? I'm I'm doing very well. I appreciate you taking the time today. I have been on a Michael Shannon a thon since I heard about, you know, that I was doing this interview. Been watching oh, Waco, really? uh Waco the Aftermath, George and Tammy. I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten a lot of stuff in this past week. So Oh dear Lord. God bless you. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I went back and filled in some of the gaps with the movies as well. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So when I was looking over your filmography, there are so many projects I adore. You know, you've just been working steadily since the early 90s. So I'm curious, because there could be an argument for many things. What do you personally consider like your big break in the business where it went from this is a good living to well, something's going on here? Big break. I don't know. I mean, I'm a real kind of like tortoise uh, <laughs> in the tortoise in the hair, you know, like slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. It's hard to point to a specific. It was so incremental. Everything was so incremental. I mean, honestly, the first time, the first time that I kind of felt a little overwhelmed by what was going on was when I moved out to LA in 1999 and my manager was getting me in to meet like Jerry Bruckheimer. And my, I remember auditioning for Pearl Harbor and thinking, there's no way. I'm, I mean, this is ridiculous. And then next thing I knew, I was in Hawaii running around trying not to get blown up by uh, <laughs> the Japanese. And, um, and so that was, that was pretty heady experience, you know, cause that's, that's like Hollywood. Like that's yeah. straight up the Hollywood you're in Hollywood now, baby. And especially uh, that one, you got the full Michael Bay experience on that one. The Michael Bay experience. I'm surrounded by, you know, hot young stud movie stars. And, and then, you know, when I went, Frankly, when I went to do Kangaroo Jack in Australia, that was the most money that anyone had ever paid me to act ever. It was an extraordinary for me amount of money. So for someone who like had spent years and years, like, I mean, when I started acting, I didn't get paid anything. Yeah. I mean, I did it for free for years. And then you get like little day player roles, but they don't, they don't pay you much to do that. So, yeah, I guess that's when I started to think, wow, this is, it's just, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I, yeah. I didn't anticipate it. I didn't think, and it wasn't even necessarily my ambition. Like, I want to be a movie star and make a lot of money. Like, I just, I was just acting. Yeah. Now that you've had more success and, you know, you can be more selective if you want, you're not just hunting for a job. What makes you consider a project? Because a lot of people will hunt directors that they really admire or writers they really admire, creators, whatever it is. You have such a varied career where it's like, I don't know what he's hunting. Is he just hunting variety? What, what, what exactly are you looking for? <laughs> you know, every project has its own reason. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of it's the people that I'm working with, most things. Like, I won't lie, like, George and Jamie was because Jessica said, Mike, we should do this. It's been too <laughs> long, you know, since Take Shelter. And I adore Jessica, and she was right. Like, I was nervous about trying to play George Jones. I didn't, I mean, the same way I was nervous about playing Elvis Presley or, mm -hmm. you know, these are iconic, beloved artists. and it's really intimidating to do that. But, um, but Jessica said, come on, it, it's scary for me too, but we will get through it together. And so I was like, well, that's a good argument. And so I did it. Or with Waco, I really admire the Dowdle brothers. I admire, I admire, I admire what they're trying to do with the show, frankly, to bring this back into the, to the consciousness of, of people and, and to kind of illustrate how, 
there might be something more to learn from these events, you know, that it's, it's worth re-examining this in order to illuminate some of the struggles we're having nowadays as a country. Absolutely. Yeah, you can see some of the the origins of what's going on today in, in some yeah. of the Waco stuff. And I was alive then, but I was a kid. So I didn't remember exactly what happened. I don't know that we really knew outside of like these insider, like books that the series is based on what really happened because we were told so many different stories that you just like watching it as like a father, as a human being, it's just tragic. And you don't realize how Mm -hmm. much, you know, events, certain events are tied. I know the aftermath is, is airing now, so I won't really say where it goes, but if you know history or you know what happened, you yeah, know what happened. I didn't realize how tied in they were. Was the original idea just to get the the awareness out there, the story out there, that kind of thing? Well, there were two uh, impetuses for the for the show in the first place. The first Waco uh, series, uh, and it, I think it was two books. Now, this is as far as I know. Uh, uh, one by the fellow I play, Gary Nessner. He has a fascinating book called stalling for time and then uh one of the branch davidians uh david thibodeau i believe he has a book as well yep. um so yeah the the series that that the first series john and drew made it was kind of an amalgamation of those two points of view and and some other uh, research they did yeah i think i can only speak with any authority about gary's side of it because i've actually become pretty close with Gary and we've spent a lot of time together and, and Gary's like, I, you know, I would love it if they just kept going through my book and take, cause Waco is just one chapter in his book. And, and he's had so many extraordinary experiences. And again, you can see the connections. They don't all seem like isolated incidents. You can see how it's like this quilt of resentment that uh, is, is laying on the, the bed of our country, you know? And so we might get into that. If this uh, aftermath does all right, we might, we might try and do another one. I don't know. That's really up to the, up to the doubt. You know? Yeah. It's really interesting because it's such a different, they're so different. Like the first yeah. Waco series and the aftermath is really different. And I'm sure if you kept doing them, they could be completely different stories. Was the plan always to come back or did this just pop up out of nowhere? I mean, it was, you know, honestly, I think, one of the main things you have to credit with uh, the, the, the the creation of Waco, the aftermath, is the, I guess, during COVID, the, the first Waco series uh, kind of became quite popular. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the exact term for it, but it was like trending or something on <laughs> Netflix or it was like a COVID show. It was like, because when it first came out, I, I think it had moderate success, but it definitely wasn't like some big fat juicy hit or something but then it <laughs> it caught a wave and then and when that happened uh i think the studio and stuff was like oh we you got any more of this and and the daddles were like well as, as it happens yes we we have some ideas and so that's what but it wasn't all it wasn't a given no interesting jumping over to george and tammy because that's pretty fresh on my mind as well. It's fantastic. Your performance as George Jones is fantastic. The singing's fantastic. I know you. you and Jessica did your own singing. Mm-hmm. I know you've been in bands before. You play music. 
was the plan always to do the own your own singing and were you comfortable you know jumping into that voice as george jones or did that take a little while for me i i felt it was imperative that we do our own singing mm. i felt like if we didn't do our own singing there wouldn't be a show i thought it would just be a hollow kind of exercise because a lot of the story is in the song mm-hmm. and a lot of their relationship the best part of their relationship the apex of their relationship is them singing together, is what they feel and what happens to them when they sing together. And if we were lip syncing that, we wouldn't have known what that was. We wouldn't even know what it was. So I was like, look, I may not sound like George Jones, but I've got to really be singing. And not only do I really have to be singing, but if it doesn't sound perfect, that's okay. Like, I don't want it to be me singing with like a lot of auto tune. Yeah. Or- gimmick or like gizmos on it or like there was this notion at one point of like blending voices i'm like no no it's got to be my voice and it's got to be i mean and i give rachel moore our music producer a lot of credit because she did she did a heck of a lot of work to make the best versions of these performances that could be in the show which requires an excruciating amount of work um going through all the takes and combing through everything. But, but she did an amazing job. But yeah, I was like, this has got to sound real. It's got it's got to sound real because we're asking people to go on a very difficult journey with us and we can't fake it, you know? Because if if it's if we're faking it, what's the point? You know, we'd, we'd be better off just not doing it. Yeah. And and you also had Georgette there um, mm-hmm. to kind of lend to the authenticity of it, Tammy and George's yeah. daughter. What did yeah, I mean, that's as close you. as you're going to get to George and Tammy nowadays is, is Georgette. I mean, she's, uh, I mean, I hate to refer to a actual human being this way, but she's like the talisman to <laughs> George and Tammy, you know, like uh, she is the. Did she ever she let on if they, if they reconciled more than, than what was on the show? <laughs> George and Tammy deeply, deeply loved each other mm-hmm. up until the bitter, bitter end. Yeah. I meant just Georgette and George, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think they got on all right by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, she definitely seems like she's made her peace with it. Yeah. She's a really kind, gentle person. I mean, as much as, you know, I didn't spend 24-7 with her or anything. Of course. But but the time I did spend with her, I, I was really impressed by how, yeah, how together she seemed considering the situation she had to deal with as a kid. I do also have to mention while we're here, I mean, The Flash is one of my most anticipated of the year. I love Man of Steel. The 89 Batman is like one of the most seminal movies of my life. Uh, I love The Flash. And I I love that you're coming back for Zod. Did you have any hesitance coming back for him? And is your Zod kind of the same guy or is he a different kind of Zod that we're seeing in this? I was hesitant because I, I, I wasn't really happy about what happened to Zack Snyder and that whole deal. Yeah. And I really love Zack. And back to the first question you asked me, like the fact that Zack asked me to play that part to begin with, that's really probably the biggest surprise in my career. I mean, I it almost felt like a practical joke. I was like, you're kidding me, right? You want me to do it? He's like, yeah. And so that I was uncomfortable, like 
but I talked to Andy about it and I liked Andy and I said, Andy, look, uh, I just, I just want to get Zach's blessing on this because it just doesn't feel right without that. And Zach to his credit was very understanding and gave me his blessing. And then I, and I went to do it. And I, I love Andy too. I love working with Andy. He's, you know, they're both super creative guys to uh, have a lot of, Andy's an amazing artist. He would just make these drawings when I was sitting there talking to him. I'd look over and say, hey, can I keep that? He's like, sure. Sign, so give it to me. But, you know, it's just real different. You know, these kind of multiverse situations, the story's a lot more all over the place, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really exist as like, I feel like I mainly exist in The Flash as like an obstacle to, mm-hmm. or a problem, you know, whereas in Man of Steel, it was more of a, a story, you know, like the yeah. flash is definitely about the flash as it should. Um, so it's not as, um, in depth, I guess. Yeah. You also have Eric LaRue coming up. You have the bike riders coming up. Those are really uh-huh. two anticipated movies for me. What can you talk oh, yeah. or tease about those? I know, uh, Eric LaRue is your directorial debut school shooting mm-hmm. aftermath kind of movie with, uh, Judy Greer, mm-hmm. Alexander Skarsgård. Bike riders mm-hmm. is obviously Jeff Nichols, so I always love what you guys do together. Mm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I finally directed a movie, um, and it's called Eric LaRue, and it's going to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival on June 10th. And Congrats. Then, thank you. Hopefully we'll get a distributor out of that. We don't have one currently, but fingers crossed. We'll see. I'm, I'm just really... I'm really counting the days, actually. I'm I'm really interested to see this movie with the audience. I haven't been able to do that yet. I've seen it with, like, a handful of friends and colleagues, but I've never just seen it in the world doing what I feel like it's meant to do. And, yeah, it's about the parents of a school shooter uh, and how they're dealing with uh, life in the wake of, you know, Eric's their only child. And then he goes to prison and they're all, they're home alone with each other. And they're like, what the heck just happened? You know, and trying to figure out how to go on with life in that, in the wake of, of that event. So, and then bike riders is, uh, I feel like it's a real departure for Jeff. Jeff's never really made a movie like bike riders. I think for fans of Jeff, you're in for a, a real treat because um, first of all, he's never really made, I want to make sure I'm not screwing this up. Yeah, he's never really made an urban movie. Mm. A movie, you know, outside of the southern kind of mid, you know, that kind of region he's from, you know, that Arkansas, you know, this is this is a movie about a bunch of motorcycle riders in Chicago. It's kind of like when Scorsese made The Age of Innocence or something. Like, mm. what? That's uh, cool. And I I think it's going to have a real different kind of style and rhythm and look to it than anything he's made. Nice. I'm not in it a lot. I'm okay. not one of the main people. The main people are uh, Tom Hardy and Austin Butler. Yep. And a wonderful actress named Jody Comer. Mm-hmm. Love Jody. Um, yeah. So they're the kind of main trio there. Wonderful. Did you get to talk Elvis at all with Austin? <laughs> it came, we got it out of the way pretty fast. I think everybody was uh, anticipating it. Yeah. It was a very short conversation. I said, man, you you were amazing. 
He's like, yeah, yours was cool too. I said, all right, see you later. <laughs> yeah. But he, man, he's a sweet kid. God, I love that kid. Awesome. Yes, yeah. we are. Very talented, as are you. Uh, I, I went over time with you here, but I just want to tell you how much I appreciate it, how much I'm looking forward to seeing all the stuff you got coming out within the next year or so. But uh, George and Tammy's excellent. Waco and the Aftermath are excellent. Great job Thank all you. around. Thank, Thank you, you so Mike. much for your time. Appreciate awesome. you, man. Likewise. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye.